Nice to be with you. Christ Community is known all around this area and all around even Ohio and other places for your witness. And Jim for his leadership, but also the contributions, especially in prayer. Great to be with you. I'm Newt, K-N-U-T-E, Newt Rockney. You're too young, some of you, but great coach at Notre Dame. And I know most of us are Notre Dame fans that are here. So good to have you. It's not as easy as those films. You know that. In two hours in those films, everybody turned Happy Christmas. My assignment, Killjoy. Killjoy. And mine is Stinginess. Uh, I don't think there's any reason they chose me for this. I'm sure, that, I'm sure my family sent my name in or somebody. But anyway, Stinginess. Stingy. I, I looked up Killjoy, Googled it in, in fact. And um, actually, I feel stupid saying this, but it's okay. You're my best friends. I, I typed in Killjoy, or Killjoy was here. And then, actually, it's Killroy was here. And that's an old World War II saying, and that's what came up. Killjoy, when I did type it in, there's a whole bunch of bands. I don't know if any of them have played here. And then a bunch of movies, Killjoy. In high school, I remembered Cynthia as a killjoy. Cynthia was the brightest girl in our class and in our school, no question. Everybody said she, wore, she read encyclopedias every night. We're not sure. But when you got a bad grade on a test or a medium grade or something, I remember getting a 77, and Eddie Rogers got a 78, and he was the brightest guy in the class. And I thought, well, great. They're going to grade on the curve. She's going to grade on the curve, the teacher. And then Cynthia came by. Cynthia always got 100 or 98. She's a killjoy. <laughs> she is. And there are people like that at parties, but this time it's like that in a church or in a home or just plain everywhere. Killjoy. The synonym is Grinch. And let's look. I do want to... Um, uh, a reminder that the faces of killjoy are not strange faces or mean-looking faces. They're me and you and all of us are killjoys from the beginning. You know what I'm saying? The first four-letter word you ever said was mine. My older brother was a sinner and taught me to say it as, as a little kid. <laughs> we all do it. My mother was so smart, and I bet all you mothers do this. If, if there was one piece of pie left and we both wanted it, one brother cuts the pie, the other brother chooses the piece. Because my brother was stingy. And me too. And you too, left to our own. Join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a Bible or a phone or an iPad, 2 Corinthians 9. And it's great verses about, hey, come on, find the purpose of life. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, just one word here, remember this. It's what Paul's going to say, remember this. And here's the great picture he's going to paint. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Any questions? He starts to say that and then proves it. The whole context is about giving and living our lives and finding a purpose in life that relates to loving other people and giving. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1, the whole area. He's asking them to give to other people. 
And he knows it's very important. Chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And they were very poor. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And he goes on to tell how they gave for the cause. Chapter 8, verse 16. I thank God who put into the hearts of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. The whole context here is about living your life and giving your gifts. Is that you? That's what I want to think about as we go. I got a chance to look at it a long time. You get a chance to say, is that me? Is that I? Is that the way I live? Okay, verse 6. Remember this. He's asking for gifts. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I like to write a sentence in, in, in a sermon in one sentence, and here's the first third of the sermon. It's on your outline. If you follow that, you'll know about when I'm done. I'm going to be done. And the first line is, we can be stingy. Yep. We are stingy, I would say, honoring the sin nature issue of life. We can be stingy. And so he says this pretty plain. We Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So everybody decides. One time at the chapel in Akron, I, I preached on giving, and uh, you have to once in a while. It's all through the Bible. And a man came up to me with a very good heart about this, and he said, but you didn't say how much we should give. I said, no, I can't tell you. Actually, I believe, I don't know quite what you teach here, but in, in tithing, if you're able, and then after that, free will gifts. My grandmother would give out our allowance. Uh, my parents were divorced, our parents, and uh, my mom worked a, a very hard, so my grandmother would cook dinner, but she would also sometimes give us the allowance, and if it were, I'll make up 10 cents, it would be a nickel and five pennies, baby because one of those pennies went in the church bank and would go there. I mean, you tithe, that's 10%. And then you gave what you would decide to give, and that's what he says here. Each one has, as he has decided in his own heart. So some people decide to be stingy. It's just the way they live. I do read studies of churches, coach churches now, and uh, pastored for 43 years, and it's true all over the nation in our country that 20% of the people do 80% of the work and the giving. And it's true that 40, 50% give regularly to the church and the other 15, no. And if you're new, I, I wouldn't give yet until you understand this church. But even people who go regularly and he's saying if you sow sparingly, you plant just a little corn, you'll reap sparingly, just a little corn. Now, does he mean reap 
in your life right now or on the day when you stand in front of Christ's rewards? And the answer is yes, all of life. It's like exercise. If you exercise, you benefit immediately. As soon as you're done with the workout, you feel better. And it benefits you for years also if you keep it up. And giving is the same way. And the first thing he says is if you, and you choose, yeah, we do, mine. Jesus said when he told the story of the rich young ruler, which was the guy who built bigger barns, he had storage garages and he kept building stuff. And, he, and suddenly God says, tonight your soul's required of you. Whoa. And then Jesus gave this warning. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. The story was told because I'm greedy, mine. If you choose to sow sparingly, I mean, be stingy. That's what it is. You will reap stingy. It will be just a little. Uh, I, I called my friend Roger. I was driving, and uh, we keep in touch. And uh, I said, Roger, I'm preaching on stingy this week. First sermon I ever did on stingy. Tell me a, a, a quote. Give me a quote on stinginess. And he said, I hate when people are stingy with me. I said, Roger, that's clever, but that's a stingy comment. That's a selfish comment. <laughs> We're all stingy. We laughed. It was just for fun. One time at Christmas, my brother and I, he's a year older. He's a Presbyterian pastor, a very good, good man, but he, he taught me to sin. But one time we decided we'd give each other $10 bills at Christmas. That was a big deal in those days, baby. So he, on Christmas, you know, we didn't know what to buy each other. What do you do after so many years? We were like 12. <laughs> so he put $10 in his envelope, and I decided to test his spiritual life, and I gave him five. <laughs> well, I opened my envelope, and I said, well, thank you, Bob. He opened his envelope, and he was angry. As I said, he has a sin nature <laughs> and doesn't understand the real issue of Christmas. No, that was dirty, and I, I made it up. Uh, just last week, I gave him $5. <laughs> it is so easy to sow sparingly. If you are stingy, you miss the purpose of life. The second part of the sentence is, or be generous. We can be stingy or be generous, and we still have the choice, and there's still a result. Same verses. Second verse, same as the first. Remember this, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Each one decides. Free will means free will. And if you give generously or sow generously, the picture is a farmer, you will reap generously. That's what he's saying. Does he mean in this life or now or in the future? Yes. All of it. And he's going to go on to explain exactly what it means. Jesus said once, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give, and they didn't stop there, and it shall be given to you. Now, we're all cautious about the, the prosperity gospel, or should be. This is not a trick, and not everybody should be happy and healthy. 
as I heard somebody say on TV once. Nonsense. But clearly in the context, he's saying, if you are generous, God will be generous with you. Whether it's spiritual and physical or emotional, it's he will enrich your life and give to you also so you can give to others. People who serve others get tired, but they also get reward, and they want to do it again and pass it on and keep going. Is that you? I mean, would people at the Christmas party coming up know, here comes my generous uncle or my kind cousin? So generously. Give love, thank generously. Let your life reach out. Some of you know the name Lee Atwater. He was the chairman of the Republican Party when George H.W. Bush, 41, was president, and he was a devil. Actually, Time Magazine, on the cover story with his picture, called him the lion or the devil, one of those two, in Washington, D.C. He was mean. He got a brain tumor in the right side of his brain. And the fifth person who told him to call Doug Coe, he said, I called Doug Coe, C-O-E. Doug Coe is 85 now. The Washington Post just did an article on him. He invented the presidential prayer breakfast. One of his uh, lieutenants came to Ashland and then Akron and helped us start a mayor's prayer breakfast. They do a wonderful job behind the scenes at the Fellowship House in D.C. The third visit to Lee Atwater, Atwater received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Believed in, but it's more than just saying, yep, that's true. It's believing in and trusting and following. But his brain tumor continued to grow. As was his custom, Doug Coe discipled him, helped him grow, but he was dying. At the presidential prayer breakfast the next year, they had a great speaker. I don't know who that one was. When I got to go once, it was Mother Teresa. They had everybody be seated after the speaker. And the president's here and the vice president and their families and the justices and senators and everyone, thousands from across the nation. They had people be seated. We have another guest, and it was Lee Atwater. Everybody from Washington knew who he was. He was introduced, and here's what he said. Ron, our friend, was there, and he said his exact words. There are only two questions in life. Do you love Jesus Christ? Does it make a difference in your life? Ron said it got very, very quiet. And they wheeled him off. He would die in about three weeks. And the questions remain. Do you love Jesus Christ? That's what this is about. Does it make a difference? in the way you treat other people, in the way you give, in the way you share. That's what Paul's calling for. Look at the next part. The next part of the sentence is so clear, and uh, here it is, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed 
and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He'll do this for you if you give and if you are generous. That's God. Verse 11, same thing. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous and on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. If you will do this, this is what is the word of God right here for me and for you. If you will do this, God, first of all, will meet your needs. I don't know how to prove that. I know that in looking back, as we gave and had a system of giving to others and then something to give as a project as when you can every month, that God supplies our needs. And it also says he enriches your heart through this giving. I do believe that at the end of life, there will be people who will look back with a serious regret at life and see they missed the purpose of life. Which is not to win ball games. It is not to have money and store it up. It is to love. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your might and love people as yourself. And a part of that is loving them by giving and serving. Is that you? So he says, God will meet your needs. God will help you. There's a great verse in Philippians chapter 2 that, that shows this, I think. And it is uh, that you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here it is, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your good health, is the translation, a good translation. Your good health, your unity, your generosity with fear and trembling. Look at the next important phrase, 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accord to fulfill his good purpose. God works in you. In other words, I have to work out my stinginess. I have to work on it, change it. And if I do, God will work in me. You got to go to the person where you have a grudge and say, I want this to be done. I want to ask forgiveness. And God will give grace. In Joshua chapter 3, they're going to cross the raging Jordan River. It's at flood season. That's all in the text. And God says to them, I will stop the raging river if you will step into it with the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Uh, it's not going to stop until you go down and start to go into it. You work out, God will work. So they put the interns and the worship director at the front of the Ark of the Covenant. No, but as soon as the priest stepped into the river, it stopped. Whoa. As soon as you decide, I'm not going to be stingy anymore, here's the promise in these verses. God will supply your needs and give you a heart that makes you want to be generous. There's another verse. When David and the, his people were giving for the, for the temple, one time I got an email at the chapel, and they said, you always look at the screen to your left. Why don't you look at the screen to your right? It was, it was, it was, very, it was written like that. So, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. <laughs> but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
This is David. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. God puts it in our hands. His shovel is bigger than ours. We're asked to shovel out his love and his kindness and his grace. And his money. Carefully, systematically, generously. So the first result, when, when, when it's God meeting our needs. Have you experienced that? One time I was running in a, I think it was a 10K race, six point something miles. And I'm not a good runner, but I always ran because we had multiple services. And I was running and nothing was coming that day. I mean, I couldn't even do the little bit of jog that I do running. And an old man of 90, 95, maybe 120 passed me on my right. He, honest, he had a bottle of honey in one hand and water in the other. Then a woman passed me on my left. I am not a chauvinist, but I'm not going to let no woman beat me. And I decided to quit the race. A man came by me, and I looked up the hill, and I said, it's all yours. I'm quitting. He said, no, come on, run with me. Run with me. I don't know how much was adrenaline and how much was pure ego, but I started to pull, and it started to come. We went up the hill together. He said, lean over, lean over, take shorter steps. So I did. Took shorter steps. We made it up the hill. We ran the rest of the race, about two point something miles the whole way. I turned to him once and said, tell me I can do it. He said, you can do it. I said, you're just saying that. We, <laughs> we made it to the end of the race and sprinted the last hundred yards. Everybody had already gone home, but we, <laughs> we sailed into the finish line. If you don't give very well now or you're, you're struggling with this at age 15 or 45 or 75, lean over. Don't be a big deal. Take shorter steps. Just start to give systematically, to serve, to love, to forgive. Lean over and you'll make it. You can do it with Christ and in combination. And the second result of this is huge also. Look at verse 12. This service that you perform, this giving, this generosity, is not only supplying the needs of God's people. Okay, yeah, they're going to be helped. And by the way, at the end of Romans in 15, he, he says this, the people gave and he rejoiced. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because, 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Watch that phrase. You've proved that you're a Christian? Yeah, sort of. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. The second result of a church that gives and people who give and families is God is honored. Glorified. How's that? People talk about it. People talk about Christ's community. People talk about your life when you're generous and you love people and you show grace where you go. The waitress thanks you for being nice. 
people in need. Give thanks to God that their needs are met. Christmas child, your project right now. God is glorified. At creation, God made giraffes for some strange reason. I think so people would go, whoa, did you see that? Neck. God made colorful fish that are two miles down in the Caribbean Ocean. They didn't even find him until they had cameras that could go way down there. How did he do that? Why did he do that? So people would look at the mountains and go, whoa. But he made people. So we would look up to him and say, I love you. And we would glorify him by choices and by living a life in obedience. And he says here that when you give and when you love and serve, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The confession of the gospel is, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Lord of all nations, creator of the universe, and that he died for me as Savior and Lord and rose again in victory. That's a confession. But it shows when we obey him as Lord, and we're not stingy, and we're generous. That's the call here, and it's so huge. So a farmer can take his seed and not sow any of it, but put it in a silo, and it will generate gases and be dangerous. Or he can sow the seed and reap the harvest. And all of us as people have to decide how much do we keep in our garages and help ourselves and how much do we give. One time Jesus said in one of the most dramatic statements, and I don't get it, but I believe it, anyone who has left houses or fathers or mothers or lands for my sake will receive a hundred times what he has left. And in the end, eternal life. Any questions? And these guys, many of them would give their lives for him. Understood, there's something huge coming. If I am stingy, I miss the purpose of life. And I will regret it. Verse 15. Well, Paul's saying all this about generosity and about what it means to honor the Lord. And suddenly he has an idea. He thinks of something. How does this happen? What would be the, what would be the greatest illustration I could ever give of this? We're talking, asking a church, his letter, asking us, asking me, asking you to be generous. What would be the, how can I, how can I help them see this? Verse 15. What can I say? Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now you can say, as a couple commentaries do, that, well, that's what God does in lives that were stingy and now they're generous. Okay, but I can describe that. Some people think this is what, he's just talked about conversion and obedience. This is what happens in a kid's life in high school when he really follows Jesus Christ. There's a whole big difference. Yeah. 
But I can describe that, and so can you. This is Jesus. The indescribable gift. I mean, try to, try to describe a rainbow. Try to describe what it means that God, the eternal God, the Son of God, who made the worlds. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, that He becomes a baby. Jesus. Try to describe that. Try to describe the Grand Canyon. Well, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's big, and there's colors, and the sun, I don't know. You've got to see it. One time, Paul tried to describe the love of God, and he said, I want you to know the, the love of God, the height and the depth and the width and the, oh, the, he's, in the Old Testament, our Lord is called the bright morning star, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the prince of peace. How do you describe who Jesus is and what he has done for our lives? I guess everything at church is Jesus. I've heard this story many times. It's supposed to be true. I think it is. A teacher says to her Sunday school class, what has four legs and a bushy tail and hops from branch to branch? And a little girl said, well, it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. <laughs> Everything at church is Jesus. That's true. Indescribable. Handel tried it with his great Messiah, Bach, with the Christmas oratorio. We try to sing our hearts out on who he is, but... How do you describe Jesus? That this eternal word, this son of God, who once said in Genesis 1, let there be light, and there was light, <laughs> and who created man and woman and, and animals and all it is, that suddenly he's down here and walking in the dusty roads of Bethlehem and Nazareth and St. Charles for us. And that he lives a perfect life and it's for us. And we would be stingy. How do you describe what he did in his life? Children would run to sit on his lap. Letter, lepers had a saying among them, he's one of us. Not because he healed them all, but because he loved them all. In the hell that he faced, he showed us what heaven is like. He keeps the law for us, even in thought. Pays the price of my penalty for the breaking of the law, the curse on him. On the cross, he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because my sins and yours were on his back in front of God. How do you describe that? And we would be stingy? 
where there's, there's heaven. You know what's ahead. It's huge. It's beautiful. When the writer tries to describe it in Revelation, I think he can't describe it. So he says the streets are gold and the gates are pearl. And, and, there's, and then he gets real and, he, and, and it's a true city. And he says, and there's no pain and there's no crying and there's no more death. And we're with Christ, our Lord. Indescribable. And I would be stingy. And all of this is grace. It started back with the creation story, and God chases people and sends patriarchs, the old men, the leaders, the kings, the prophets, and they keep saying, no, no. And then 400 years of silence, not a word from God. Broken by the gentle knocking on an inn in Bethlehem. And he says, we're going to have a baby. Can we get a room? And God speaks. And Jesus is Savior of all who believe and stop living like this and live in combination by faith. Is that you? And that gospel shows in obedience and generosity. And when you're generous, God is generous with you and will be in reward, but also God is glorified. So that's the purpose of life and how we are meant to live. It does go back to the cross and who Jesus is and what he has done for us there. Have you come in, in the place in your life where you not only say, yes, I believe. I don't mean you're scared of because you heard about hell. I mean, you're saying, I believe he is who he is and what he did on the cross, and I follow him. And when we do, take shorter steps, just try, be generous. My favorite movie a long time ago, still is, Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire has two runners that are the main characters. One is Eric Liddell, a Christian, and the other is Harold Abrams, not a believer. At the beginning of the book and the movie, Eric Liddell says, I run for God's glory. I feel his pleasure when I run. Harold Abrams runs for Harold Abrams. When, when Eric Liddell won his event at the Olympics at Paris, he laughed and cried and they hoisted him on their shoulders, his friends, and he T-bowed before Tim did and pointed to heaven and gave God glory. I mean, that's what you do with the gold or with God's gifts or his grace. Thank you, God. And you smile and laugh and love. When Harold Abrams won a different event at the Paris Olympics, he didn't know what to do with the gold. What do you do when you live for yourself and it's all over? He's sitting at a Paris cafe, little table here, his coach right there, getting drunk, depressed. The camera sees him take another sip of beer, and his coach, knowing what he's fighting, says, forgive my language, Harold, the whole world can go to hell. Tell him you won for you and old Sam Mosabini, and that's all that matters. 
And the camera came in closer, and Harold took another sip of beer. It is not enough to live for yourself. If I am stingy, I miss the purpose of life. To love others and to glorify God. And when you live that way, a step at a time, let each one decide in his own heart. Let's pray. Help us decide, Lord, and live out a generous spirit. Help me, help us. We bow before you and Jesus Christ, your Son, who walked on water and raised the dead and went to the house of Zacchaeus the cheat and ended up at ours, who lives at this church in our hearts and in our lives and can help us love and give. As you pray, pray for his kind of spirit, lean over, take shorter steps. If you're not sure of this whole thing of the gospel, won't you ask God something like this? God, I want to know if this is true, if I could really believe in and follow Jesus Christ by faith, or if he's just making it up. Help me know. We worship you, Lord, eternal Lord. And here we are to give and to worship, but also then to go out to serve you with high purpose. Please help us. And we pray in the name of your beloved Son who came to earth for us. Amen.